I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 111, I'm going to talk to talk about my coast-to-coast for climb cross-country motorcycle ride from San Diego to Boston and why I did it. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Well, I'm back from a great time crossing the country on a motorcycle. Had such a blast. And I got a chance to spend time with some great people that I'm going to share with you about. Just a a fantastic time. One of my core beliefs is that each one of us should live a no regrets life. I believe that God has made each one of us uniquely and with a purpose in mind. As Paul shared about David in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Each one of us has a purpose and a gift set to accomplish that purpose. You've been given talents and interests that guide you toward the accomplishment of that purpose. When you use those talents and pursue the interests that God has placed in you, you will live a no regrets life and will make this life count. When David was living, he fulfilled the purpose that God had called him. He'd served God's purpose in his own generation. And our goal should be to serve God's purpose in our generation. When I was 12 years old, I'd spend the summer with my friend, Tony Prudhomme, and we would take our inner tubes and we would raft down Deer Creek in Nevada City, California. We'd talk about our dreams for the future. We'd finish our rafting trip. We'd go get a donut and we'd just talk about our dreams for the future. And one of the things we both loved was motorcycles. We talked about crossing the country on a motorcycle. Now, I've lost touch with Tony since then but I've never been able to lose my desire to cross the country on a motorcycle. I've spent 10 years over 10 years overseas. I've planted churches. I've had ideas and, and times when I never even owned a motorcycle. I've carefully stowed away that idea at times, but in my relaxed times, the idea would always fall off the shelf and I'd pick it back up, dust it off and tell myself one day, and I'd carefully put that dream back on a high shelf in my mind. Earlier this year on episode 70, I talked about how to make 2021 your best year so far. I talked about setting goals and systems to support those goals. One of the goals I set this year was crossing the country on a motorcycle. My three kids are all graduated from college. I'm still in good health, and I decided this is the year it's going to happen. So after Pam and I spent the month of June helping Brian and Abby Mackey plant the Flagstaff Church, I took off on a 4,400-mile trip across the country. I'd like to share with you where I went, what I saw, who I met, why I did it, and what I learned. 
So on July 1st, it came back to Tucson, bought a bike to cross the country. It's a 2013 BMW R1200GS. This thing has got every gadget and gizmo you can imagine. It's a beautiful bike. And I bought it, bought it used and picked it up on Craigslist. Brought it back to, to Tucson. I had bought it in Phoenix. Then on July 2nd, I was, wasn't feeling very confident about the front tire. It looked a little shaky, so I had the tire replaced. Wasn't quite ready to take off on this new bike. Well, I woke up on Saturday the 3rd, and I still wasn't feeling it. I, just, I was just really anxious, to be honest with you. I was nervous about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And and so I just slept in. I was supposed to leave on the third. I should have. I, I mean, I originally had planned on going on the first, but of course I, I didn't have the bike quite ready. I'd, I had another bike that I thought was going to use. I thought, no, it's not quite not what I need for this long distance. And so on the third, everyone expected me to take off. And guess what? I didn't. I just was like, not not ready. Wasn't feeling it. And so I called up uh, a couple friends, Felipe and Nick, two brothers here who live in Tucson and I just said hey would you mind going out to dinner with me tonight and so we sat down for dinner and I just said hey I need a send-off I need someone to push me out the door because this is kind of a big deal for me and so they came over and spent the night on the third Saturday and on Sunday July 4th at three o'clock in the morning I, I hit the alarm got up at 3 a.m. and took off for San Diego and they were there along with my son, James, and they saw me off, and it was awesome. I was like, okay, this is what I needed, a little boost from these guys. Well, I got a couple hours into the to the trip, and boom, I heard something. I ran over something. I was like, what is that sound? Well, I kept going to the next town, and I went into the McDonald's to, get, to use the restroom. And I came back and looked at my tire, and my tire had a groove in the back of it. It was in the, the rear tire. It looks like a groove. It looks like it was designed that way. But something had dug a half-inch groove into my rear tire. And it was really frightening because I thought, I'd heard about people having blowouts on motorcycles, and it's really scary. They're just not like cars. I mean, they can, you can literally fall off the bike so easily going at speed. So, but here's the problem. I was way out in the middle of the desert. I was heading to San Diego, which is about a 500-mile trip. And I was like, what do I do? I'm kind of halfway between Tucson and San Diego. What had happened is there was a piece of my bike on the back of it, a little door that had like a little toolbox. And so it was the door to the toolbox, about six inches by three inches. And it had fallen off. I hadn't locked it down tightly enough. And then it got sucked up between the tire and the fender. And, and the, the lock on that toolbox, little round lock, just dug into the tire and it's kind of like a little router if you if you're familiar with wood woodworking he just dug in there so I decided okay I guess I'm just going to go on to San Diego and maybe I can get the tire changed in San Diego so I go on and then I go to church in San Diego because I'm a spiritual person so I I had called ahead and found out where the church service was and so I made it I left at three so I could get to church that morning and they had a, I think it was a 10 o'clock, so no, it was 11 o'clock. Was it 10 or 11? I can't remember. It was 10 o'clock. But anyway, I made it. And I worshiped there with the church in San Diego as an outdoor service, one of the few regions that was meeting live because of COVID. Well, 
after the service was over, I was fellowshipping, really friendly and everything. I have all my, my bike gear on. I go out to, to my bike, battery's dead. Okay, now my bike is a big bike. It's really heavy. It's like 500 pounds or something. It's really a lug to push. So I had to push the bike, which is embarrassing. Then I try to jumpstart it going down a hill, but guess what? It doesn't work. And so a passerby comes by and he says, hey, can I help you? So he pushes me. And then a third person comes along and tries to help me. It doesn't work. My battery's dead. And then my bike fell over. And I was like, oh my gosh. So anyway, I get it upright and I'm like, what do I do? So I called a brother that I met who at the service that I just gone to just up the street. He comes back and jump starts my bike, which was amazing. So Gus Bateller did that. And I really appreciate that. So then I, I crashed at a brother's house there in San Diego for a couple hours just because I was so tired from the trip that morning. But I decided, okay, I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on for this trip. And I went to the beach, and I ran into Mark and Hannah Persing, which was great. And so they, they filmed my takeoff from, the, from the San Diego, which was my starting point. So I went out to the beach at La Jolla. I got some sand. I got some seawater, put it in a little bottle, and packed it away, rode on there at La Jolla, Independence Day, 4th, 4th of July. 2021. But my original plan was to go on to Oregon to see my mom. My mom is turning 97 this year. I was going to go up and visit her. But I was nervous about it because I'm like, okay. The problem was I couldn't get the tire fixed because it's 4th of July weekend. It's a Sunday. Everything's closed on Monday because of the holiday. So I go, what do I do? You know, I don't really want to ride on this bike, but I, I can't fix it either. So what? And, you know, I'm like, I didn't have any place to stay. I felt embarrassed to ask people to stay at their place because they've got all their friends. They've got their 4th of July plans there. I just thought this would be really rude for me. So I just decided that night I'm going to go back to Tucson. So I headed back and drove back that night, and I made it to El Centro, California, which is in the, the, the desert of California, really hot. So anyway, I get back there at about, I don't know, about 10 or, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So then on Monday, July 5th, I wake up 6 a.m. It's already 90 degrees. Okay, it's super hot. I throw my shirt on and it's I, I put my shirt into the to the sink and I just soak it and put it on and then put it on wet. And then I put on my leathers over that. And so take off. I get back to Tucson at about 12 p.m. My my sons who are who are there are shocked to see me because they thought I was going on to Oregon. They're like, Dad, what are you doing back here? But I was really happy to be back safe and sound in my house. And Tucson is is on the way from San Diego to Boston. So it was, even though it was kind of a backtrack, it was still on my path. And so my plan was that I got back on Monday that the next day the shop should be open and I would get it fixed. Well, guess what? The bike shop was closed on Tuesday because they normally are closed on Sundays and Mondays, well, because of the 4th of July holiday, Independence Day in America, they closed also on Tuesday. They're, they're day off. So I go there at Tuesday and it's closed. So I'm super bummed because it's already the 6th of July. I'm still in Tucson. And I'm like, should I just scrap this? And I was like, no, I got to, I was feeling a lot of things. So then on Wednesday, I wake up, take it in, I replaced the rear tire. I feel a lot better because now I've got a brand new front tire and new rear tire. And they checked the battery and the battery is no good. So they put in a new battery. So that's good. And then I go and get a seat pad because 
on the way over to San Diego and back, I'm like, whoa, this seat is really, you know, I, I've ridden motorcycles quite a bit, but I'm like, that kind of mileage, all of a sudden, I was really feeling it on my saddle. And so I get like an air inflated seat pad that really helped. So then I get home and it's about one o'clock or two o'clock after I've gone to the shop. It's, uh, it's like 107, 108 degrees. It's well over 40 degrees Celsius. If you're, if you're listening from another country and I was just wavering, I, I gotta be honest. I was like, is it too late? You know, have I wasted too many days? Is it too hot? I don't want to go back out there in the desert. I mean, it's just riding a motorcycle through the, the, the Sonoran Desert is miserable. I mean, it is just no fun at all. You're just hot. People are staring at you. And, and I've got riding pants. I've got leather jacket on. You can imagine. I mean, there's no air conditioning. It's just hot, hot, hot. I've got a full face helmet. So I'm praying about it. And I, I'm just like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy at all. And we also had a big hope event. I'm like, well, maybe I should stick around for that. Now, I had already talked to my leadership group and said, hey, I'm going to be going on this trip. And they're like, go for it. Take a break. You've been working hard, you know, the planning the Flagstaff Church plus COVID. So Pam called me, you know, and she she gave me the Adrian talk. You know, the if you've ever watched the movie Rocky, Rocky always gets inspired by his wife. And she's like, honey, you got to do it. You need to go for it. Don't don't wait there. You need to go for it. So <laughs> I think my kids were a little worried about me because I was kind of moaning and groaning and sulking around the house. And then Pam called and I'm like, okay, I'm going for it. So I get on the bike. I open the garage door and I get going. It's about 110 degrees outside. And so I get going. Luckily, when I headed east, about a half hour east of Tucson, it, it rises in elevation Tucson's about 2,300 feet elevation, but within a half an hour, it goes up to 5,000 feet. So all of a sudden, it dropped down to about 90 degrees, 92 degrees, which is way cooler compared to 107 or 108. So that night, I rode, rode to Albuquerque, and guess what? Josh Peterson was waiting for me at midnight when I got there. I was so touched. I mean, he waited up and let me in and let me stay there, and Josh leads the church. Josh and Stacy they lead the church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and just was touched because I thought, you know, I'd, I'd like called him that day. Hey, can I stay at your place tonight? And he said, no problem. And he was there, gave me a place to stay in the living room. And then we interviewed them. I interviewed them for my podcast next, the next day. And I had some equipment so that I could interview podcasts portably. So that was really cool. It's the first time I'd use that new equipment and it worked really well. And I hope you've had a chance to listen to that podcast episode. They're an amazing couple. Well, then I was like, where am I going to go here? Now, I could go straight across through the Texas Panhandle, then go on to Oklahoma and see Vince Pierce, and, and then I could go on to St. Louis. And but then I thought, I did that route in 2016 when I went to the REACH conference, and I've already seen that place, and I've already interviewed Vince and, and uh, Roe Pierce. And so I thought, no, I, I, I don't want to do that because I've already, you know, I've already interviewed them. And so I, Josh said, how about if I call, um, how about if I call Mike and, and, and Jody May, who lead the Fort Collins Church? Because I told him, I said, I want to go 500 miles a day. That's my goal. I want to do the, you know, the 20-mile march from, there's a book I read. You got to stay consistent. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go try to go 500 miles a day every, every day that I'm riding. 
So 500 miles away would be take me to Fort Collins, Colorado, and that's where Mike and Jody May left. So I left on Thursday, July 8th, after the interview, about 10 o'clock, and then I go up through Fort Collins. I had coffee with Chester Umaging, who leads a church in Colorado Springs. That was a great time to see him. And he said, hey, you got to stop by and see the Garden of the Gods, which is like a, a rock formation there in Colorado Springs. It's really amazing. Just kind of a these rocks just shoot out of the ground at the base of the Rockies. And so that was beautiful. Then I hit a rainstorm, my first rainstorm so far that I put on my rain suit and I got to Mike and Jody's place that, that time about 9 or 10. They were super nice. And I was talking to them that night. Turns out Jody's brother is Tim Priestley. And Tim Priestley stayed with me and Mark Springer back in the day at, at UC Berkeley. And he's a couple years younger than me. Now he's in Los Angeles. But I did. we were talking about the Boulder Church. And that's where Jody became a Christian. And Turns out her parents are elders, were elders in the Boulder Church. And anyway, that's just kind of an interesting connection. Small world, small kingdom. And Mike, then I did, on Friday, July 9th, I woke up and I did an interview with them. And Mike was so sensitive, so heartsy. Now, I had spent a week with Mike because his son is going to school at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. And so he brought him down, dropped him off, and, and helped us to reach out for a week. And got, I got really got to know Mike. I I met him once at an ACC conference when he was leading the Potomac Valley Church. But Mike's super sensitive, super heartsy. And it was a great interview because his heart really came to the surface. And I was really touched by what he shared. I mean, he just, um, just, just hit me as a very plain spoken and, and you know, God-fearing, God-loving leader. And I love the time we spent in Flagstaff. And this was a second time that we just really cemented our relationship. So I really appreciate Mike and Jody for letting me stay there. Then I'm like, okay, where am I going to go from here? Now, I could have gone straight across Nebraska at that point, or straight through the cornfields of Nebraska. But I knew I needed to go to the motorcycle Mecca, which is South Dakota. Okay. South Dakota, if you're if you're not from the states, that's where the Sturgis motorcycle rally is, and that's where this summer seven hundred thousand people showed up for this one motorcycle rally this month in August. And so I thought I got to go through South Dakota. So I took off that morning, went up to Mount Rushmore where they've got the United States presidents on on the mountain. And I got to be honest, I was a little underwhelmed with Mount Rushmore. Because all the pictures of Mount Rushmore are, are super focused. I mean, they're just enlarged, where it just shows these massive faces of President Washington and Roosevelt and uh, Jefferson and I can't remember who, Lincoln. But from the viewing area, it's you're farther away, so it's, it's just not quite as massive or as impressive. Now, it's still impressive, but it's just a little bit different than my expectations. But it was still great to be there. And what was funny is that I showed up there, and then I texted Pam a picture of me at Mount Rushmore. And she texted me back. She said, what are you doing at Mount Rushmore? And, and what I had done is I knew Pam would be nervous about me riding, so I put a tracking device in my in my gear bag and that way she could through an application she could track me it was like a little tracking device so she knew where I was so as long as I was moving I was still alive and so anyway I had not charged it the day before 
And so that whole day, she thought I was still back in Fort Collins, and she she thought I was just taking more time with Mike and Jody. But guess what? I wasn't. And so she's like, what are you doing about Rushmore? Anyway, just, ew. anyway, honey, I love you. So then from there, I went through Rapid City, South Dakota, and then uh, Wall Drug in Wall, South Dakota. That's an interesting place. I've seen that on many, many documentaries about the Sturgis Rally. It's kind of a big drug emporium. It used to be a small drugstore. Now it's kind of filled up the whole town. It's kind of the whole reason that whole town exists, it seems like. It's got every kind of, you know, Western wear and food and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, I, I just had to go there because I'd seen it so many times. Then I, I, I couldn't go any farther. About 500 miles from me that day was Murdo, South Dakota, which is kind of a small town in the middle of South Dakota. And I went to bed that night, found a hotel, motel, and I stayed. I woke up the next morning at like 6 and looked out, and it was dark clouds. I mean, this is Saturday, July 10th. I'm like, uh-oh, this does not look good. It was not bright. wasn't sunny. Now, you got to understand, I'm from the West Coast. I was born in Oregon, and I was raised in California. In the summertime in the West Coast, it doesn't rain. I mean, you can pretty much count on if you've got a park service or something like that. It's not going to rain in the summer. I mean... It will, like, rare. I mean, I don't even remember when. But I'm starting to go over to the East Coast, and all of a sudden, it's a different it's a different game entirely. So 7 a.m., dark clouds. I put on my rain suit, head to toe, and it rained all day. I mean, all day, just rain. And so I'm riding my, my motorcycle, and there's just mist all over the road. The trucks are just kicking up all sorts of, of, of rain all over the place. Now I've got boots on and everything. And then about lunchtime, I stopped by for coffee to have coffee with Shannon Van Z. And you heard about Shannon from our last episode. And we had a great time. I mean, I love and am inspired by Shannon because he's a church planter, self-supporting, bivocational minister. And we had a great time. It was just too noisy to do a live interview at that time. So I decided I'm going to do it when I come back. And that's what I did. I interviewed him over Zoom. So I left there, and he's like, you better watch it because that, that storm front is traveling with you. So I go from South Dakota down into Iowa, and I get, it's about 3.30 or 4, and it's getting dark. I mean, it looks like the Lord's coming back or something. And I'm like, whoa. And then it's just raining, and then all of a sudden, I'm seeing these lightning strikes that are going across, horizontally across from left to right. Massive. And then up and down. And then traffic slows to like 25 miles an hour on the freeway and then people are putting on their flasher lights and there's just the water is gushing it was so funny because the truckers who are looking down on me from from their you know their high seat (laughs) it's just so funny to look at their their facial expression because they would just like notice me and then they would just be have that look like is this the dumbest person ever what is he doing out here but, you know, at the same time, I was so happy. I was just having a blast. I was like, this is awesome. I mean, it's total adventure. Well, I get into Des Moines and see John and Barry Lusk, and they let me stay there that night and the next night. And they said, man, there were tornado warnings, you know. And so that's why people were so afraid, and that's why they are slowing down. They thought a tornado was going to come, and it, there were some tornado sightings. I didn't know that on the motorcycle ride. I just thought it's a little really dark and rainy and, and wet. But 
in any case, I got in there. They had some Thai food waiting for me, and we just caught up. It was great to see them. Pam had actually been there the night before and had spent time with Barry. I had sent her along ahead of me because I knew that it would be not good if I had her just stay at home. So I bought her a couple tickets to go visit Barry Lusk in Des Moines, Iowa. That's one of her friends. And then she went on on that Friday to Burlington, Vermont to see Sue Schaff, another of her friends. And so I wanted to keep her distracted and busy while I was on my motorcycle. Anyway, little thing that I came up with. So on the next morning, John asked me to preach, and so I preached on three lessons I learned on my motorcycle, which was really fun. It was great to be at the church in Des Moines. And then we had lunch together. We stayed. I stayed up, and I said, hey, do you want me to take off now? And they said, no, let's want you to stay another day. And we just caught up. And, you know, John is a serious bow hunter. And I don't know if he – I, I think I interviewed John in episode six or seven – and he is a master bow hunter. This guy is like, he's like crazy about bow hunting. And so we go down to his basement and it is like man cave on steroids. I mean, he's got animals. Their heads are posted all over the walls. I mean, from Africa, from wherever he's, he's caught animals. I mean, and so he's probably got like 20 heads that are stuffed and up on the wall and he's gotten into uh, bow hunting testing and he's kind of the expert on testing broadhead arrows and so he actually shoots his arrows in the basement of his house and he's got like kind of a firing range there where he evaluates and he puts it on youtube and and essentially people are sending him their broadheads and this is kind of a whole subsection of, of the hunting world, but it's really big. And he said there's like a, a million bow hunters in the United States. I didn't realize that. But he's kind of like, hey, I'm going to test him. And so he shoots it straight into a concrete block to see what will happen to these razor-sharp arrowheads. And he wants to simulate what it's going to be like, hitting an animal, going through bone, and all this stuff. And Anyway, it's just it's just fascinating, and he he turned shared that he, when his his dad uh, when he was small when he's four years old his dad opened up a, an archery range in St. Louis, and that's when he first got started. And then he just always kept it, and even when he was in Asia, he kept it. When he came back, he got back into it. Moved to St. Louis. Turned out when he moved to St. Louis, he was only a mile away from that archery range that his dad had started. Didn't even realize it. And so it's, it's really funny to me how things that you were interested in when you're kids, they don't go away. And, and a lot of times they'll resurface later on. And that desire, the way the bent that God makes you, it never really goes away. And I think same thing about motorcycle riding. It's something I've always loved since I was like 10 and I bought my first Honda 90. Anyway, I'm dig digressing. So that night, Sunday night, I have some coffee at about five or six, and I'm trying to upload my um, my podcast recordings from Mike May and, and also Josh Peterson. So I have some coffee. Well, that night I go to bed, and I and the next day I've got a 700 mile drive to go to Cleveland. Well, I can't sleep at all. That coffee is just like knocked me out, and so I'm wide awake all night long. Not like just a little, like a little. I'm like wide awake. I'm praying, meditating all night long. Alarm goes off at 5.30. I'm out the door. I give hugs to, to 
to John and Barry, and then I'm off, but I'm already tired at 6 a.m. in the morning. So on that day, Monday, July 12th, I crossed four states, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. So I'm going past Chicago at like 11.30 in the morning. Then I get into Cleveland. What's amazing is I don't really know that many people on the East Coast. I'm more of a West Coast person. But I did, did call Ryan Painter, who's a great guy who leads a church in Cleveland. And I said, hey, Ryan, I'm coming through. Can I stay with you? Can I crash on your couch or sleep on your floor? And I had brought my own sleeping bag and a sleeping pad because, you know, I just was like, hey, I'll crash. I don't care. Well, he said, I'm going to connect you with some people in my church. I'm on vacation, but I'm going to connect you with Norm and Chris Steiner. So Chris Steiner calls me and says, oh, we're excited to have you. And so they invite me to their home and I get there and it's amazing. It's a gorgeous home. Now, Cleveland has a funny reputation. Some people are just really turn up their nose at this place and go, oh, you know, Cleveland and not very nice. I go, it was beautiful. I mean, it's right on Lake Erie. Gorgeous. The house they live in is like, I'm like, I want this house. <laughs> Can I have this house? It's beautiful brick home. And what's interesting is that the hospitality was so amazing. Norman Chris did not know me before this. Um, they'd heard about me from a, a seminar that I did for the church. But other than that, they really didn't know me. And they also had a couple of friends, Dale and Barbara Hawkinson, who came over for dinner too. But they've got an interesting backstory because when they fell in love in the church, they they told each other, they said, I just got to let you know, um, you know, my parents, when you meet them, they, they speak German. And both of the parents spoke German. They both come from first-generation German families. And so every Saturday growing up, Norm and Chris and their separate families would have to speak German all day long. So I thought that was really interesting. And they were there in the early days of the Cleveland Church and are still going strong. So thank you, Norm and Chris, for your hospitality. So they fed me dinner and then breakfast, and then I I didn't really want to leave because the house was so nice. But I did get up and get going. Saw Lake Erie, stopped by, had to see that. The Great Lakes are amazing. And then I thought, okay, today I'm going to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, Gettysburg is, is also on my bucket list. This motorcycle ride plus Gettysburg is definitely on my list because I love Civil War history. I've read books about the Battle of Gettysburg. And so I rode to Gettysburg from Ohio into Pennsylvania. Now, Pennsylvania is an amazing state. I mean, all these states are beautiful, but Pennsylvania really stands out. It's like a little, if you've ever seen the first episode of The Lord of the Rings with the Shire and the little rolling hills and little farms, that's the best thing I can compare it to. Green, little farms, everything is green and beautiful, so well cultivated and tended, it's amazing. Now, at that point, I'm really starting to feel the humidity because the West Coast is not humid at all. It's very dry. It's a dry heat, low humidity. But Pennsylvania, we're talking lower temperature, but much higher humidity. So I'm just sweating it up. And I see Gettysburg, and I wanted to see the battle site where the Confederates had charged the the Union forces, and 7,000 men died in that one charge. It was an amazing battle. And kind of the turning point of the the war between the states in 1863. And also where President Lincoln um, later said the Gettysburg Address. So that was a great, great moment. I just really enjoyed that. And then I drove to Dacio and Diane, Diana Marias's house in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And they are the parents of 
my, my daughter's fiance, Felipe. So I asked them if I could stay at their place and, and they live in a farmhouse there and their backyard is absolutely gorgeous. It's farmland. It's Amish country. And we had, they had prepared a special Brazilian dinner for me, which was amazing. And then we went out to, to breakfast. I bought Dacio breakfast. And I, I walk into this Dutch house, it's called Dutch house or something like that, breakfast place. And I see all these women who are wearing bonnet, bonnets on their head and kind of like plain dress. And I go, oh, it's cool. It's like a theme, theme restaurant. You know, they'd kind of dress up kind of old school or something. And I walk up closer, but they're not serving people. They're, they're clients. They're sitting there having breakfast. And I realized these are Mennonites, and that's the way they dress. And I'm, my mind is blown. I'm like, what? Is this really happening? And not only are they, they, there was like six young women, probably in their teens, who are dressed that way, but there's older women there too. And Dacio said, listen, if you're here on Sunday, you'd see the horse-drawn carts going by in front of our house. There's just you know tons of them back and forth because the Amish people, they don't, you know, they don't, they're kind of living in a, a past century with clothing and you know, all sorts of stuff that are unique to their to their religion or their form of Christianity. But that was kind of interesting. And then they took me out to lunch at Five Guys, and I had a really nice bacon burger, which was great. So I took off then on Wednesday, July 14th. And at this point, I'm like, I can't do 500 miles a day. I'm just, I don't think I can, I'm ready to go all the way to Boston because my, my rear end is really sore. So... I, I just go, okay, I'm going to call my sister-in-law who lives in Yonkers, New York, Victoria. And I stay at their place with Chris. We stayed and went out to dinner at a Chinese restaurant that night. Then the next morning, they were also going up to visit with us in Boston. And so we leave at 7.30 in the morning for Boston. And we end up having lunch in Boston. And then we all go together to Rockport, Massachusetts, which is the nearest coast to Boston for us. And it was really awesome because I, you know, pulled the bike up and then I walk over and I take my bottle and dip it into the, to the Harbor there. And my, my trip was done. It was awesome. I just, you know, it's just really, really special to see something happen there that I dreamed about for so long, see it come to a conclusion. Then we had dinner overlooking the Harbor in Rockport and it was just an amazing, amazing day and night. And so I just want to finish by sharing some lessons that I learned from that cross-country ride. I think, number one, prepare and pay attention. I, I guess I wish I had gotten things ready earlier. I, I just wasn't, I'd come off my planting to Flagstaff, which was all absorbing, and then I came and I just trying to rush to get everything together, but I just, there's a lot that goes into it. And so I wish I had done a little bit of earlier preparation because it put me off a few days. And then I think also don't ignore weird stuff happening. That when, that, when I heard that weird sound on my bike, I wish I would have just stopped right when I did it. But I, I thought I'd just run over something in the road, like a piece of metal or something. I didn't realize something got sucked up into my tire and, and fender. But you know, next time I go, okay, just explore it, figure out what's happening, take a second. And I think that would have been better had I done that. So don't ignore weird, weird stuff happening happening so prepare and pay attention i think that's that's my weakness is it you know I'm, I'm kind of a big picture person i don't like to focus on the details but that can really bite me if i if i'm if i'm not paying attention to the details, especially in, on kind of a new trip like that number two 
push off and push through. Ecclesiastes 11.4, one of the translations of that says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Now, this is one of my favorite memory scriptures, and I've got it on a three by five cards. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. And I think that's something kind of if there's one lesson I learned from this whole trip is like, hey, listen, if I if I want to cross the country on a motorcycle, there's never a perfect time. You just better do it. And I remember talking to Shiva Murthy, Shiva Murthy, and I interviewed him back in episode number 23. He's in India. He leads a church in northern India. And I remember talking to him on a visit there to India. And he had told me about how he had gone on a motorcycle trip to Nepal and way up into the high altitude of Nepal, way up in northern India on like a two-week vacation as an intern. And he was on a, a 125 motorcycle. Now, if you're not familiar with motorcycles, that is a very small motorcycle. My, my motorcycle was a 1,200cc, and his was a 125cc, like a tenth of mine. But he also took a brother on the back of his motorcycle. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, he could have said, my bike's not big enough. I don't have enough. But it just didn't stop him. And I thought, listen... I can't wait for perfect conditions. You know, I just got to get out there and get it done. So I think don't, I learned, don't wait for all the answers up front. There's a lot of things that I was hesitant about, like how am I going to get my bike back? I didn't have time to ship my bike back. And I thought, how am I going to ship my bike back from Boston? I didn't know where I was going to stay every night. I didn't even know the exact course I was going to take. I I just kind of made it up as I had a rough idea, but I, but I just thought, okay, I'm just going to go anyway. And I, and I almost didn't go. There was a couple times where I'm like, no, you know, just too much unknown. I, I don't think I can do this. But I'm just glad that I didn't wait for all the answers up front. I think, number two, expect resistance. Especially the beginning of anything you really want to do. It's, it's weird how it all happens right at the beginning. I mean, I had a battery dead. I'm, I had tire problems. I had all sorts of issues coming up. And I almost gave it up. I almost walked away from it. I think another thing about uh, pushing off and pushing through is just embrace. It just just embrace the kind of the miserable. I don't want to say the word, but just you know, there's some parts of anything you want to do that just are no good. They just really stink. And the heat was one of those things. I mean, the first part of my trip, the heat was just really hard to describe how how miserable it was number two that tire happened the battery happened uh the vacation weekend i couldn't get any repairs done um you know i think also just there there were days where like man i was really sore from riding in the in the saddle for like 700 miles i was like whoo <laughs> that's a hot one it was it, i definitely felt it and i just had to just go okay that's part of the trip and it's one of those things when when you do something that really matters when you're doing it, it's not always super fun, quote unquote. But looking back, I go, that was awesome. I'm so glad I did it. I think another thing, just setting a goal every day. My, I covered 4,400 miles. My goal is to every day that I did ride to go 500 on average. And so I actually averaged 367 miles between July 4th and July 15th. And that's pretty good. I was really happy about that because there were several days that I was stuck at home doing repairs. And then I stayed an extra day in Des Moines to spend time with John and Barry at church. I think also ride with the lightning. 
there was a day there where it rained all day and I could have just stayed at, in, the, in the hotel, but I thought I'm just going to ride right through it. And I just remember thinking, you know, this is pretty scary here. These, this lightning is hitting pretty close here and the rain is gushing down. My boots that night were absolutely waterlogged. They're totally soaked. But that scripture came to my mind. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. So just ride with the lightning. I think the third thing that I've learned is people are amazing. I mean, I already knew that, but people are totally amazing, and God works through people. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Get friends to help, you know, I just think, I think you need friends, and and that was one of the really special things about the trip, if not the, the most special, is the people that I met or talked to along the way. And I needed friends to help me to get started. I mean, I needed my wife to kind of get me over the hump and the anxiety and the worry and the unknown. And Pam just kind of pushed me through. And then Felipe and Nick were there when I needed, you know, like a wake up. My son James was there when I needed, uh, you know, kind of the push off out the door and the farewell motivation to get going and get get overcome inertia. I think just cultivating your friendships. Gus Boteller fixed my my dead battery and, and he went to the auto parts store and helped me to get 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 my bike back on the road. I had just met Gus at church that day like an hour before. But he took time aside on a vacation day to to help me out and I just go I'll always be grateful for that guy. I met him that day for the first time and he was so kind to help me. Kenzie Cook helped me to find out where church was. Paul and Carrie Schultz let me nap at their place in San Diego. Lauren Snyder was there preaching the word, doing a great job in San Diego. The Petersons let me stay at their home, and the Mays did. And then I met Shannon Van Zee, and he was amazing too. And just old friends, John and Barry Lusk, I've known them since the, the mid-'80s at UC Berkeley. Just, you know, you treasure those old friends. And then the Steiners... Brand new friends. I had never met them before, but they were so kind to me. And then the Mariases, future in-laws. The payoff of all this is, you know, enjoying the benefits of seeing a life goal accomplished. I can't tell you what it means to me to actually have a goal that you've had for years and decades and then to actually knock it off your list. This is probably one of the biggest non-ministry goals that I had set for myself. I want to cross the country on a motorcycle. And in some ways it's more difficult because it's not directly a ministry goal. It's kind of very personal. And I can't justify it. I can't say, you know, oh, this is, you know, going to help. Now, I did do it to promote the Coast to Coast, the, the Climb Conference, which is great. But there's a confidence that comes from going, hey, I don't just talk about things, I do things. And there's a peace and there's a joy looking back. And if you've got something on your bucket list, my advice is this, make a plan and put it into action. Because you're a person who wants to make this life count. I've heard it said that it's not the things you did that you'll regret. It's the things you didn't do that will leave you with regrets. So live a no regrets life. I want to ask you to join me for the 2021 CLIMB Conference. If you're a disciple who's leading in a small church, a small ministry, Bible talk, small group, you don't want to miss this event. And I, 
you know, sometimes we think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. This is perfect for you. If you want to be a grower, if you want to learn, this is how you'll benefit. There's going to be inspirational speakers, practical instruction. Every day, there's going to be a theme to help you and your ministry grow. For example, on Friday, it's personal growth. That's the theme. It's dedicated to helping you to revive, refresh, and restore the joy of your salvation, no matter what you're doing in the ministry. And so Joel Pete is working on a program to make 2022 your best year ever spiritually. And then on the Saturday program, the theme is ministry growth and planning. So first it's personal, then it moves to the ministry. And Joel Nagel is coming up with a complete plan and program and curriculum for your ministry in 2022. Joel's a master planner, an amazing just just ministry planner. And so you're going to leave the conference with confidence that you have in your hands the material and support you need to make 2022 your your best ministry year so far. And then finally, I think the most important thing, just massive encouragement. 72 hours together with pe- people who are climbing the same mountain as you. You will make friends, I guarantee. You'll laugh, you'll learn every day. You will connect with some amazing people. So when is it? It's December 2nd through 5th. This year, 2021, in Dallas, Texas, we're staying at the Marriott. It's only $109 a night. It's um, right in Las Colinas, you know, outskirts of De- Dallas. Please register be- because the the rates are $150 till the end of August. So please register. Go to robskinner.com, robskinner.com. Look for the Climb Conference tab. I look forward to seeing you in Dallas in December of this year. That's going to be amazing. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask you, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.